Welcome to the Ocean Church Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you in your journey of faith. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. Come on, are you glad to be here? I don't know what's up with the first row. It's like y'all are afraid of me or something, or you've seen me spit sometimes, one of the two. I don't know what, what it is, but... Um, I remember going to church, and man, you had, to, you had to get there early to get the front row seat. Now you come early to get the back row seat. So things have changed over the years. But um, glad that you're here. I know God is going to speak to you. It's a great Valentine's Day. My wife uh, woke up this morning and said, Happy Valentine's Day. We hugged, we kissed. And, and I've learned some things on Valentine's Day. And first of all, never buy an appliance. Um, vacuum cleaners and, you know, irons and, you know, even if she, you know, gives a hint, even if she says that's something that she want, wants, men don't, don't, it's a trap. It is a trap. Don't, don't give into it. I'm telling you from experience, don't give into the trap. We're in our series called the Apocalyptic Church and we've been looking at the letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches of Asia Minor and we're in our third um, part, I say our third part, I think we're already in week five or six, but we're taking each letter and we're splitting it into two parts. And so we're going to really dive into the church at Pergamum uh, today. And then starting next week is our Kingdom Builders weekend. We have three weeks of Kingdom Builders and missions. We are a missions sending church, a missions involved church, a missions giving church. We love missions. And I can just tell you that really the, the primary reason that God has blessed us so much at Ocean Church with multiple campuses and all of those things is because we have a heart for missions. And, and you, can't, you can't be a believer and not have a heart for missions. I'm going to try this side. You, you, you can't be a believer and not have a heart for missions. And here's why. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so the heart, of, the heart of God is the heart of missions. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And so uh, we dig into missions. And uh, this past year has been a little difficult for us with um, uh, world missions as far as sending teams and um, you know, doing global trips and, and all of that. So we said, hey, well, let's take all of that same energy and time and investment and let's put it right here in our community. And so you heard Pastor Kyle share that our heart is that we would be out in the community every single week. We're working with dozens and dozens of ministry organizations. Uh, we don't want to reinvent the wheel on everything. We want to help come alongside people that are already doing a great job in certain areas and uh, bring volunteers and serve with them and serve alongside of them and also provide financial support. So um, God's blessed us to be able to do that. And uh, just share a quick thing with you that uh, happened just this past week. We were, um, these are things that we love to do as a church. There was a local ministry that had um, a truck that broke down and, you know, I passed by and I saw it and the Lord just prompted me and said, hey, just, you know, call, call the church and tell them that we'll take care of whatever repairs there are for the truck. It was their outreach truck. And so we called the pastor and just said, hey, we, we don't know how much the bill is. We didn't know if it was $500 or $5,000. It didn't matter because God spoke to us. 
And so we just called and said, we don't know what's wrong, but we saw your truck, you know, and it was getting repaired. So we just want you to know that whatever the repair bill is, let us know we're going to take care of it. And so that, that's our heart in our community, and your generosity makes that happen. So I want you to be here for these next few weeks. It's going to be power-packed. We're going to have some fun, exciting guests with us, and we'll have a great time. Uh, let's go ahead and stand. We're going to read our text together, Revelation chapter 2. We're, looking at, we're going to start in verse 12. If you have a Bible, you can read along with me. My preferred translation is the NIV, and that's because as a kid, I learned most of my scripture memory in NIV. So uh, if you're wondering why I use the NIV, that's, that's a primary reason. There are also some great translations. Um, but let's read together. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write. If you are new with this, that word angel means messenger or the pastor or the bishop of the church, the communicator of the church. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who is put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Bow your heads, let's pray. Jesus. Um, we've been praying this every week. Just say this with me. Just say, Jesus, speak to me. Jesus, speak to me. Come on, everybody in the room, you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. Just say, Jesus, speak to me. Jesus, speak to me. I, Lord, I know that in one word, in one moment, and in one sentence, that you can radically change the heart of an individual. And so it may be me that you want to change today. So Jesus, speak to me. Anoint your word. Let us hear the gospel. Let us hear you speak. In your name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, I remember growing up in, in school and um, Valentine's Day was always a big day, especially if you were dating somebody. It was always a, a big day in school because you got the little love letter. You got the little love note. We didn't have text messages. Uh, the, the text messages that we had, we wrote the text on the message, right? We wrote the text on the paper. We wrote it. We wrote it in our homeroom class. If, if you had, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, you would write the note in homeroom or you would start it over first and second period. And then somewhere between third and fourth period as you're going to the lockers and you're making your way to different classes, you, you wouldn't say anything because you were too intimidated even when you had a boyfriend or girlfriend. And so you just kind of walk by him and just smile at him and you would hand him the note and keep going. And then remember how you would fold the note up and there were all these different ways that you could fold up letters and these little notes that you would write to each other and they would have these little tabs and then you would open them and 
Sometimes you would put little glitters in them and you would open them and the little glitters would come out. I don't know if you guys did any of that. But, 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 But they were love letters and they would always start off kind of sappy. Hey, just want you to know that I'm sitting here daydreaming about you in homeroom class. Just want you to know that I'm thinking about you. Would you be my valentine? You're the love of my life. Isn't it funny, all the loves of our life, we can't even remember a lot of their names now. <laughs> You're the love of my life. We would write all these notes, and the introductions were always so important. And, and even as we're looking at this letter that Jesus wrote, the introductions are so critical. The introductions tell us a lot about what Jesus was wanting and kind of the heart that he had behind each particular letter. And, and we see it when we started uh, several weeks ago in the, to the church of Ephesus. Jesus said in the very opening, he said this. This is how he addressed it. He says, to the church of Ephesus, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. He said, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And he was talking about the seven churches that he was getting ready to speak to. I mean, what a beautiful introduction, man. I'm I'm right there, and I'm holding them in the palm of my hand. And then we get last week to the church of Smyrna, and we see what the church of Smyrna, Jesus said, uh, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, right, you know, I, I am the first and the last. I was dead, but I'm alive again. I mean, the introductions were so important. And then he comes along to the church of Pergamum, and the tone changes, The tone of Jesus, and we're going to see this in these next weeks to come, the tone of Jesus changes a little bit, and Jesus starts out this letter as he writes to the church of Pergamum, and he says this, these are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. Well, hold on. I I like the one that, you know, where, where you're holding the seven stars, and can Jesus, how about that intro for me? Jesus, I like the intro a whole lot better, um, you know, to, to the church of Smyrna. Why, why not that intro for me? And, and, you know, this was one letter. Revelation is the revelation of Jesus. We think it's about the end times, but revelation is actually a revelation of Jesus. And it's Jesus, the, his words, and, and, and these letters would have been read in all the churches because it was sent as one letter and then these individual letters within the context of the letter. And so I'm sure, I'm sure that Pergamum was looking like, whoa, wait, wait, this isn't fair. I mean, they get the seven stars and, you know, Jesus is the first and last. And what do we get? We get the double-edged sword. Think about that, how Jesus starts this letter. He says, I'm coming to you. And I'm coming with a deadly weapon in my hand. For a lot of people, this wouldn't be positive. It sounds somewhat threatening or even terrifying. And it's kind of the first terrifying introduction that we have. But, but, but Jesus is wanting, he's not trying to hurt or come against strongly or, or, or trying to intimidate them. What Jesus is wanting the church of Pergamum to do is make sure that they take things seriously. And can I just stop and tell you that we must take the end time seriously. We must. We can't lose sight of who we are. I really believe uh, in almost 30 years or 30 years of full-time ministry that this series that I'm doing right now is one of the most important series I've ever done. Because it's time for us to take things seriously. And we must recognize who we are. 
We've got to know who we are. We've got to know what's happening around us. We've got to know that what, we, what we've been called to. And it is a matter, the things that we talk about week in and week out are matters of life and death. Have you ever heard somebody say, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting? This is Jesus writing a letter, having a come to Jesus meeting with the church of Pergamum. He, he, he's getting ready to commend some things that they're doing incredible, but then he's going to bring some correction. But I want to just look at the first couple of verses here. In verse 12, it says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Let's talk about Pergamum a little bit. Pergamum was a fascinating city. Pergamum was like glitz, glamour, high-end, um, it, it, it was like entertainment capital. I mean, it, it would have been kind of a modern equivalent, you know, kind of a city of bright lights. If you could imagine back then, if you kind of had some parallels there, I mean, Pergamum would have been like the Vegas. Pergamum would have been, you know, the same city back then. And, you know, between Ephesus and Smyrna and Thyatira and Sardis and all that, they would have been talking about Pergamum and saying, you know, hey, what happens in Pergamum stays in Pergamum. Because when you went to Pergamum, anything went. You, you could do anything in Pergamum because it was center, the center for occult worship. And there were several, just numerous temples that were dedicated to all these deities and all these gods. And, and so depending on what you wanted, if you were looking for, you know, kind of, you know, to, to, to really jump in and you wanted to, to just find some type of a wisdom, you would go to this particular temple and you would seek whatever deity or whatever God trying to find wisdom. Or if you were looking, you know, to kind of just get lost in your sexual addictions, you would go to this fertility temple and you just get lost and wrapped up in that. Or if you needed this or you needed power, you would go to the temple of Zeus. And, and so it was really that idea that whatever you needed was in Pergamum. Whatever you wanted to happen was right there. And if you could just imagine what it might have been like for this church to start out. I mean, you have these Jewish people who go to Jerusalem and, and they go to Jerusalem for one of the feasts or one of the celebrations. And while they are there, they hear the gospel preached. They've never heard it before. They've never heard of this Jesus. They've, they've never heard of this radical salvation. And for the first time ever, they're hearing the message of the gospel. For the first time ever, they're hearing about Christ crucified. And they're hearing this incredible message that is being preached. And, and they believe and they receive the gospel and they receive eternal life. And their lives are radically, radically changed and transformed. They receive the baptism baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're baptized in water. These believers now, they leave Jerusalem and they go back to Pergamum to Sin City and they plant a church. And that's kind of the atmosphere and the place that Jesus is talking about here. And something that we've got to see is that the gospel can break through the darkest area. Then no matter how dark things seem or, or how bad things get, the, the gospel can always, the light of the gospel can always penetrate into darkness. And that's what Pergamum experienced, the light of the gospel coming into this dark city 
and this church being established, great things begin to take place. And I, I just want to offer some hope to some people that are here today that are saying to themselves, I feel like I'm in a hopeless situation. And the situation that I am seems so dark. It's just so dark. I, I see no light. Maybe you've been in a marriage for a long time and you're the, you're the believer and your spouse isn't a believer. And you say, my husband or my wife, they'll, they'll never receive Christ. I've been praying for years and years and years. My kids will never receive Christ. It just, Pastor Ed, if you knew the situation, it is so dark. I just want to encourage you and say, don't give up. Don't give up. Pergamum would have been an easy place to give up on. But yet the gospel penetrated the darkness of Pergamum. Now let me just tell you how dark Pergamum was. To the angel of the church of Pergamum write, listen to this, I know where you live. Jesus said, I, 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 know, I know where you live. I know the city that you're in. And when he says, I know where you live, it's not like, I mean, he knows our physical location. He knows where you are today. He knows your zip code. He knows your home address. He even knows how many hairs are on your head or not. <laughs> he knows everything that's going on in your life. And so when Jesus said, I know where you live, he said, I understand the world that you're living in. I understand the cultural climate. And I understand where you live. And even these words, I understand where you live. It, it, it doesn't refer, refer strictly to just the physical location. But he's saying, I know where you live. I know where you invest your time. Because it's really said that we dwell in the things that we put our time to and our energy to. And just because you live in one place doesn't mean that you dwell there. It could be that you mentally are dwelling on your job all the time and you live more in your job than in your house. And Jesus was saying, I know where you live. I, I know what's going on in your life. And he says this, I know where you live. And here's the thing about it. He said, it is the place, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Think about that. Out of these seven churches, Jesus says that Satan has set up his throne in Pergamum. I mean, you want to talk about a wicked place, about an evil place? Satan, Pergamum was so important that, that Satan had established his rule and his authority, Jesus was saying. Uh, have, uh, some of you men, men that are here, you have a chair at home that's your chair. Come on, anybody have that chair? This is my chair. I don't care who comes over for, you know, over to our house or whatever. That's my recliner. That's, that's, that's where I sit. That's where I watch TV. Everybody in the house knows that's mine. My dad had one of those recliners as a kid. I mean, it wasn't like it was completely off limits, but we knew when dad was home, that's dad's chair. Dad sits in that chair. And that chair wasn't just a chair. We knew that that chair represented his authority. Dad was head of our household. Dad sat in the chair. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying I, I know where Satan has his throne. I know that he's got a chair in the middle of Pergamum, and he's sitting there, and he's ruling, and he has authority here. And Jesus says, I know where you live and that you're living in the midst of that. Satan was conspiring 
against Pergamum. He wanted to destroy Pergamum. He wanted to take out Pergamum. Listen, in the same way he wants to take out you. What I'm getting ready to share is so critical and important. And it really goes with the seriousness that I opened the message up with. Do you realize that Satan is always trying to establish his throne in your life? He's trying to set up a residency. He's trying to set himself up in your life, around your life, and do everything he can to tear you down. I don't want us to miss this because this is huge. Because I think one of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to just simply get us to think that he doesn't even exist or he's not around. If, if he can just get us to deny his existence, he's got us. And, I, and, and, and let me just share a couple of thoughts with you and tell you what's happening. You know that in hell, in a similar way to this, that, that the enemy has a whiteboard with your name on it. And, and, and he has your name, and every single day, He's trying to conspire against you. He's looking for ways to take you out. Even today, it's Valentine's Day for you. Everybody said, but I, I just want you to know that even mentally right now, the enemy is doing his best to combat and come against you. And he'll try as many strategies as he can. And if one strategy doesn't work, he'll move on to another strategy. And he'll just keep on moving from one strategy to the, not, to the next. It's not like he ever just gets to the point and says, well... Okay, well, that didn't work. I guess we'll just leave him alone and move on to the next person. And, and so, I, I, I mean, I can just imagine that, you know, let me just give you a little glimpse into my world and, and my testimony, even my testimony in ministry. You know, the enemy might look at my life and say, man, you know, what, what can we do? What can I do? And can't you see all his little minions around? What can we do to just really get at? I mean, he's pastoring a church and leading a church. So I think strategy number one, let's just get him super discouraged. Let, let's, let's just launch an all-out assault on Ed and get him so discouraged that he'll want to quit altogether. Because we know that if we can get him really discouraged, then, then that will eventually lead to depression. Hey, and you know what? If we can get him into a place of depression, then maybe we could even get him to consider taking his life. These are real things that have happened to me over the decades. And so if we can really get to, man, then, then it's not just him. We'll take out a whole bunch of people. But what happened? I leaned into God's word, and then all of a sudden the enemy's like, well, that didn't work. What? Well, I tried that. That didn't work. He prayed through and got a hold of God on that one. Well, man, that, that didn't work. Man, he's got more life than he's ever had before. And so it's not like the enemy stops right there. All he does is say, okay, let's make sure that we understand that these are failed strategies. 
Failed try. Okay, everybody got that. So now let's start on some new stuff right here. You know what? There's somebody in his life. What we'll do is we'll get him now to lean into unforgiveness. Oh, you know what would be really good? What we could really do is we'll get him really angry. Better yet, with politics. Don't leave. <laughs> Let, let's get him so wound up. Let's get him, let's get him so, and, and I don't know what it is, what the strategy is, but let's get him so discouraged. Let's get him so angry. Let's, let's, get, him, let, let's, let's get him to get addicted. Let's bring addictions into his life. Oh, you know what? Let's bring a little bit of envy. The enemy is always conspiring against you. That's why what we're talking about is so serious. That's why, that's why I watch people come. I can't tell you the thousands of people I've watched walk in and out of our building. Thousands. They walk in and they're excited and discouragement comes along and they break. Depression comes along and they break. Unforgiveness comes along and they break. The enemy is always, always trying to take you out. So how do we handle that? What, what do we do when, when the enemy's right there? I, I love this. Jesus said, I, I know where you live and where Satan has his throne. I love these words. Yet you remain true to my name. That's the category I want to be in. I want the enemy to be in hell right now, and I want hell to tremble. I, 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 I want hell to is that, well, okay, that didn't work. And, I mean, come on, guys. Anybody got anything? We're running out of stuff because he's remaining true to Jesus' name. Come, somebody come up with something because we're, we're losing people here. People are getting radically saved in the church. People are getting radically saved in the ministry. We better come up with somebody because there's a group of people at Ocean Church that are remaining true to his name. Listen, he said, but you remain true to my name. Let me just mess you up a little bit. You know, have you ever heard this term? Oh, you just need to remain. You just need to be true to yourself. Some of you have said that. Some of you have counseled other people and you're like, you just need to be true to yourself. Just be true to who you are. Just be true to yourself. Well, that sounds really good unless you've got an anger problem. You just be true to yourself. If you're living with unforgiveness, you just be true to yourself. I'm just telling you, being true to myself hasn't got me anywhere in life. If anything, the more true you remain to yourself, the more jacked up you'll be. Listen, Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Pastor Ed, I don't know if that's scriptural. Well, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life that I now live, I live by faith through the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. It, it's not me being true to myself. Because the truth is, when I got saved and I received Jesus, I became dead to myself and true to him. Jesus said, you've remained true to my name. And so here's just a couple of takeaways I want to give you. First of all, how about if I write it on the board here? Number one, it's on the screen also. Know your enemy. Know your enemy. 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware. For some of you, this is revelation today. You know what, you know what we have just done today? God's word has armed you so that you're like, oh, okay, now I'm aware. Now I'm aware that there's a scheme of the enemy to destroy me. The Bible says we're, we're not unaware. We, we know the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the power and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Everyone say stand. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms, the Bible tells us. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to, help me out with that word, so that you will be able to stand, so that you can, will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, you've got to know your enemy. Listen, you've got to know your enemy. And number two, listen, you've got to know where you stand. I didn't do all this writing last night. This is free for you. I don't even know if I'll do it next service. But You've got to know where you stand. Where, where do you stand? Where do you stand when it comes to truth? Well, I don't know about this whole truth thing. Oh, I, what, what, what is truth? Isn't that what Pilate said? What is truth? You know, the world tells us today that there are only two absolutes. The first absolute is that there are no absolutes. And the second one is that everything must be tolerated. And I would say, not just tolerated, but celebrated. Do you realize that we're living in a time, I used to write articles on postmodernism, I studied a lot on postmodernism. And, um, and it was kind of a short window for me because you know we've kind of moved past the postmodern time. Even in postmodernism, there was kind of a post-Christian idea but we're no longer we're no longer a post-Christian nation. We, we we've passed post-Christian. We are now an anti-Christian. We're in an anti-Christian world. That's why you got to know where you stand. This is why you got to know where you stand, and you got to know where truth is, and not your version of truth. The truth. The truth, the absolute truth. You, you, you've got to know the word. You've got to know where you stand. 
David Platt said this. He said, consciously countercultural. This is the only possible posture for individuals, families, and churches who have any hope of following Christ in contemporary America. I am committed to living my life countercultural. And if the believers in Pergamum could do it, we can do it. If they could remain true to his name, we can remain true to his name. I love this first part of this letter to the church of Pergamum. Jesus just commended them and he said, you guys, you guys are getting it. You live right where Satan has set up his throne, yet you remain true to my name. God, help me to live in that place. Help me to live in that place. When there's an opportunity to either stand or bow, help me to always choose to stand. Daniel chapter three tells the story. Go ahead and stand with me if you would. Daniel chapter three tells the story of three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and had built an idol that was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. And he commanded that whenever you heard the sounds of the music, the harps and the zithers and the lyres and the, all the different, I don't know all the names of the instruments, but when you hear all those instruments and you hear the music and the pseudo worship begin to play, you're supposed to fall in worship. You're supposed to bow down. And so that all began to happen, and some of the rulers and some of the officials came and said, hey, King, didn't, didn't you order this decree that everybody should bow when they hear the music? And he said, yeah, I did. He said, well, there are three guys that refuse to do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they're called in and given the opportunity to either stand or bow and here's their response, because it was either, either if you refuse to bow, what we're going to do is we're going to heat up the furnace and we're going to throw you in the furnace. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, and they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Let me just stop and tell you that God is your defender. Let me just say it again, God is your defender. Sometimes you feel like, I got to defend, I got to, no, 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 God is your defender. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. God, help us to be the kind of people that when threatened with the furnace, that when threatened with fire, in the middle of living in a crazy world, that in the middle of that, that we'll stand and say, I refuse to bow. I refuse to bow. I will not bow. I will stand in the midst of whatever opposition comes. I'm not gonna give in. Man, God is raising up believers. This, man, the, the line is being drawn in the sand. I'm just telling you, God is raising up believers that will stand. And not just stand on a Saturday night and a Sunday morning, but will stand. But will stand all week. I know, man, I've been a little fiery lately. You'll just have to forgive. No, don't forgive me. Just keep encouraging me. <laughs> that, that will stand. And so would you just bow your heads with me right now? Just... And, and, and maybe even lift your hands and just pray and say, God, I, I want to stand. 
I, I, I want to be a believer that will stand. I want to be one of those believers that will stand. I, I, I want to be somebody that in the midst of fire, that, that in the midst of the heartache, that, that, that I'll stand with you. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I pray for your power to fill my life. Today, I'm not being true to myself anymore. That hasn't got me anywhere. I'm gonna be true to your name. Yet you remain true to my name. Lord, help me to be true to your name. God, help me. Lord, help me to stand for you. Lord, like the believers of Pergamum, let me stand for you. In the name of Jesus, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work in my life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we make a decision to stand. If you've never made a decision to stand, would you pray with me right now? If you're joining me online and just pray and say, Jesus, I want to stand with you. I want to stand with you and for you. Jesus, come into my life. I surrender my life. I surrender my heart. I surrender all of me. I give you all of me. Forgive me of all of my sins. I receive eternal life. From this moment forward, I'll stand with you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for changing me. In your name I pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Can we just put our hands together for the Lord this morning? Our prayer team is going to be here if you need special prayer. Matter of fact, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come. If you need special prayer, we want to pray with you. And, man, I want you to know how much I love you. I'm praying for you, believing God with you. And uh, I, I really believe that these, these weeks and months to come are going to be some monumental growth steps for you and some growth times. And uh, know that as a staff, we're, we're, we're standing in the gap for you and believing God with you. I'm going to be hanging out down here around the front. If you'd like to stop by and say hi, I'd love to see you. If I've never met you, I'd love to be able to introduce myself to you. But I'll be right over here in this area, in this section. But I hope you have an amazing week. I know God's hand is on your life. I'm praying for your marriages, especially today in your relationships on Valentine's Day. And some of your relationships need some healing. And we're going to pray that God would heal some relationships. And so would you just lift your hands? Let me pray a blessing over you. God, I pray a blessing over these amazing people here. God, I pray that you would bless them, all of those that are online with us at home. God, I pray that you would bless them. Would you just, if you're online, uh, just extend your hands out. Jesus, I pray a blessing over all of them. I pray, Lord, that you would walk with them. Lord, I pray on Valentine's Day, Lord, for some it's a sweet, for some it's a bitter, God. And I pray for those that are in the bitter part that you would bring healing and restoration. God, I pray that you would restore marriages that are struggling, Lord, that you would help them move forward in you as they make you the center of everything. God, I pray that you would bless the people as they go out today, that you would make them ambassadors for the kingdom in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. We hope you were encouraged by the message today. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can like, subscribe, or share it with someone. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.